Have you ever wondered how successful architecture, engineering, and construction companies scale their business? Or have you ever wanted guidance on how to get more growth, wealth, and freedom from your AEC company? Well, then you are in luck. Hi, I'm Will Forat. And I'm Justin Nagel, and we're your podcast hosts. We interview successful AEC business leaders to learn how they use people, process, and technology to scale their businesses. So sit back and get ready to learn from the industry's best. This is Building Scale. On today's show, we have Matt DeBarra. Matt is the owner of DeBarra Masonry and the contractor consultants. Matt comes from four generations of proud Masons. His father supported their family as a Mason, and Matt brought the family tradition out to L.A. when he started his first company, DeBarra Masonry. He realized quickly that the struggles of contractors uh, face when they come to running a business are huge. Specifically, hiring qualified and reliable talent was a massive undertaking that he uh, quickly figured out some of the, the tricks and tips here. So uh, as he started building those strategies and creating scalable processes, he began finding a ton of success, uh, so much so that uh, he started to mentor other leaders and finally founded Contractors Consultants. So with all that said, Matt, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. I'm going to leave right here. That was great. Um, good. It's all downhill from here, so I don't know. I'm only kidding. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. That's um, I, I have to stop saying this because I say it every time. I'm like, I always try to, you know, give the guest, a, give, give them the, the light, but it never sounds as good when I say it in comparison to when you tell your story. So that's where we'll start this like we do every time. So tell us your origin story. Tell us about the first masonry business and then tell us about the contractors consultants. You know, I, I thought I had the origin story right until until this past Thanksgiving. The the way I thought it went was that uh, family, four generations that we can track. So great grandfathers on both sides, grandfather, father, uncle, and then myself and in masonry and concrete specifically. So uh, that's kind of the backstory that I knew. And I was told and my recollection was that I started working when I was nine, that I had too much energy in third grade. And finally, my mom let me work with my dad in fourth grade in the summer because she was like, he's too young. He's like, what do you mean? I was working when I was like three, you know, that old school kind of mentality. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I have a, I have a, uh, she's almost one now. And so we were going through my daughter, we were going through old family photos. Then I found one where I was probably two years old sitting on my dad's lap as he's basically digging out for a house lot. He's doing all the grading. And I'm like sitting there and I was like, that's not nine years old. Like I was told. So <laughs> I've been doing this, I think longer than I can even, uh, even remember specifically construction job sites with my dad, family business. And that's kind of the, the roots of the, you know, of the lineage. And then just, just grew from there. I always looked up to dad, always loved construction. You know, my first real day on the job, I remember I uh, was all excited and I showed up and then my dad's like, all right, you're going to mix, you know, you're going to mix mortar, kid. And I was like, okay, cool. It sounds fun. And the bag was 94 pounds, I believe. And I was probably like 65 pounds. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, dad, this is, I thought I was smart. I was like, this isn't going to work. He's like, oh no. Well, and he flicked open a knife, cut the bag in half. He's like five shovelfuls is a half bag, 10 is a full bag. Here you go. He's like, George will show you how to do the rest. And he walked away and I was like, okay, so this is work. And that was, uh, that was my, my humble beginnings. And then after I finished, uh, I was like, all right, this is where the real stuff happens. My dad's like, yes, it does. Here's a trash bag. Pick up everyone's trash for the job site. Find <laughs> me when you're done. I was like, okay, he's clearly got a plan for me here because I can't outsmart him. So that was the, that was the roots. Yeah, no, never, never, never. No labor laws for family, huh? <laughs> Guess not. <laughs> no. <laughs> 
So, uh, so tell us about you know, moving to LA, opening up your own your own uh, own shop. Tell us about that. Well, my dad was smart, right? He was he was very smart because he he paid me based on skill set, not time. And I think that was one of the most important things he did. So he's like, you learn how to mix, you know, you learn how to mix mortar without George helping you. He had a dollar raise. I'm like, done. This will be figured out in two weeks. And then I just kept, he kept doing that. And so, you know, by like 13, 14, I was kind of laying a little bit of brick and block. And he's like, oh, you can do that. You get an extra dollar. Because I started making $3 an hour. It was $24 a day. And my mom's like, my mom went to bat for me. She was my labor law. She's like, my labor lawyer, she's like 25 a day, like flat, like even number, it's good. And my, her and my dad are going back and forth. He's like, so that was it. But I grew quickly. I took it very seriously. I was very proud of what my family did. My dad took me to see houses my grandfathers and great-grandfathers built. And so that's that. And then I went to a vocational high school, took up brick laying, stone laying, all that stuff. So while most kids are throwing a football, I was learning how to you know build buildings. Uh, so that was fun. And then I started running crews at around 17, 18. I was running multiple crews and could order material. I mean, there wasn't much I hadn't seen at that point just because I was so immersed in it. And my dad told me, he's like, look, if you place in this competition, he's like, you get a $2 an hour raise. So I played second in the country. I was very motivated. And that's, I mean, that was kind of how I grew and then took over the business. And then eventually uh, didn't like the cold weather. I uh, had some family out here and whatnot. And so brought the business to LA left left my pops um and then really really grew it here and learned a lot a lot more about business i would say here than i did there because things were, were more established i trust me i know so went to school in arizona went back to chicago originally from chicago and now back in arizona i'm like yeah no it's too cold too cold up there we can't be doing things up there that's crazy you can do it all down here in, in the southwest so uh love that so you kind of had a really uh, just organic transition from labor to owner, essentially, right? It was kind of like I'm I'm going from you know mixing mortar at nine, uh, you know, mix, mixing it all up at nine, and then moving your way into running running uh, teams and doing the whole crews, all that kind of stuff, and then obviously coming out uh, out west, learning stuff there. So, what were some of the things that you did learn from dad? You know, obviously you learned a lot of stuff on your own, but um, what were like when what did what did dad teach you? Like what what were the the fatherly lessons that like every son should learn in a uh, father son business kind of situation? You know, my dad was hard on me. He was hard, and 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 a lot of there were moments where I I was a little bit uh, not so happy. That's the way to put it. <laughs> That's a nice way to put it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was very very difficult, and I get it, right? Because I had things one tenth as hard as he did as a kid. And then my grandfather had it way harder than, so there was that kind of, but, but we held that like, it, it was almost like a time capsule because my great grandfathers were both immigrants from Italy. And it was like that, like almost that, that, that kind of immig immigration mentality passed down very hard. It was like honest days work, honest days pay. There was no, pro I was never embarrassed to be dirty. Like I never, all that stuff passed down. <clears throat> and my dad was big on his word. I mean, it was like if he said something was going to happen, it was going to happen. My dad used to keep, uh, and I don't always tell this story, but my dad used to keep a set of basically big lights behind the seat of the truck. And uh, if he said he was going to get a job done at a certain time, I knew around, if it was the summer, around 7, 8 o'clock, he'd go and pull out these lights and plug them in. I'm like, we'll be here till like 1130. Like it didn't like, he was that kind of person. And so I learned, uh, you know, the importance of keeping your word. I learned the importance of, just just very weird lessons that, that happened serendipitously like we did a, we did a uh, there was a woman friend of my dad's and uh it was his mother 
and she's very senile. Could hardly see. And we were we we're doing a little repair. It was a Sunday. My dad's like, oh, we'll do it. We'll take care of it. It's a little patch of stucco. Couldn't have been bigger than like two by two in the back of our house. House is falling apart. And it was a very special old school finish where you had to take a sea sponge that had all the holes and you had to actually press it and pull it. And it gave it this like pulled out kind of extruded look. And I forgot to bring that sponge. And so my, I'm, what I did was I cut holes in a regular sponge. I'm like, yeah, let me find that. And I'm like doing it. He's like, not good enough. So we go to like the first supplier and they don't have the sponge. So we go to the next supplier. And, and we're, so we spend four hours on this two hour job driving around. And finally we find it. We go back at this point. It's late. He's got the lights out. Like this thing had to be perfect. And I was so mad at my dad. I was like, dad, why are we? I'm like, she can't even see the house is falling apart. He's like, it doesn't matter. He's like, you show your skill level and you show your craftsmanship no matter what you do. And I was pissed. I was like, this is ridiculous. I'm like, when I cut those holes and did the thing, I'm like, this is fine. So he said, it doesn't matter. Well, Believe it or not, and I can't make this up, about a couple weeks later, we get a call, and it's the church across the street, massive masonry church. And so we're talking to the maintenance person, and he's like, I want you to quote, restoring this entire building. Huge project. And I asked him, because I was I was learning from my dad, I was like, where'd you find us or whatever? Like, how'd you, you know, how'd you hear about us? He goes, well, I remember I was working on Sunday. He said, and I saw you guys doing work at, across the street. He's like, and I, you were there all day and you're in and out. And now, so I was so curious what you guys did. He goes, I went back and I looked and he's like, you guys matched that old stucco perfectly. He said, I know Mrs. So-and-so I've known her for 20 years. And she's just, he's like, I was blown away. I knew he's like, I knew you were the guys. And my dad just looked at me and smiled. And I, I couldn't understand the correlation of how things can, can work. And that was the lesson where like, I was like, oh man, he, he understands things far beyond what I know. I mean, this was a multi, multi hundred thousand dollar, you know, shy of a million, but it was up there from a, probably my dad didn't even charge the lady. So the big lessons that I learned at a young age. That's amazing. That is, that's true. That's so true. Uh, our work, right. Our craft, whatever, whatever your craft is always, always be world-class, right? Like that's the whole thing. Like be world-class at it because that's the only way that it pays itself off. Like be, be the best at something or try to be the best because who knows who will see it or who knows what the opportunities that bring to it. And, and for you, it was, I mean, that's a, that's a real quick turnaround. Sometimes it takes a long years to like see this thing. And it was like, bam, two weeks. That's really cool. So it's so obviously you and your dad have a relationship, right? What about like the culture with everybody else? Like what was, what was kind of the culture uh, when you were still working for your dad? My dad, my dad was old school. I mean, he ruled with an iron fist and, uh, and that worked, that worked for, for the guys that he had. Cause they had been with him for 15, 20. I mean, he had guys that, that were there before I was even born. I mean, these guys were like, I remember when your, your mom was pregnant and we were like, ah, oh, this is the guy who's going to take over. Like, you know, these stories are crazy. So my, but my dad was old school, you know, he was tough headed. He was, he had a temper and, and I was, what, what I think was interesting as I, as I grew and understood things was I could see where for certain people in certain instances where that didn't work and people would get pissed off. But I could also see this, this kind of like almost militant respect that, that a lot of the guys had for my dad because they were like, Oh no, like your dad would finish this. Like, or he would do it. And I could see, so it was interesting as a, cause I was on the inside, right. I was working with them. So, you know, he'd be like, finish this in two hours, leave. Right. And then I would see like who got motivated or who got upset and why. And so I started to be able to unpack these, these lessons of like, okay, so this person's temperament, my dad really should have pulled him aside and said, hey, look, this is what I want, a different style uh, rather than one style. But I also got to see the importance of a more stern leadership style. And so fast forward to today, I think it's interesting because because a lot of us are like, oh, that's, you know, construction. We need to be we need to be mindful of everyone's feelings. We need to be. 
And what I've realized is I'm like, I have this, this additional set of tools that I know how to use for the right people. And it's super, super powerful. The fact that it's not one size fits all. I, I think real leadership and real culture is about understanding your team and knowing like my dad had, you know, two crews that like the, the more stern he was, the more he pushed, the more he was like, look, you, you know, we'll be done in seven days. He's like, you can do it in six. And they're like, ah, you know, and then they get fired up versus other crews that would like, my dad be like, you can do it in six. And they throw the tools. I'm like, this guy doesn't respect us. He doesn't care. He doesn't get it. He doesn't know hardware work. And he's driving in a truck all day. And I was like, wow. So this does work. It just, it has a certain time and place for when it works best. So then what did, so obviously when you moved to LA, what are the, the the changes that you make, right? So you, you have you have more tools in the toolbox. But what does culture look like when you when you when you're the owner? When you're the it all the buck ends with me or buck stops with me? Well, I, I, the culture for me is is big about like I'll never ask anybody to do anything I won't do. I'm first one in, last one out. I learned that at a very young age, right? So like my team knows they'll get messages from me at like four or five in the morning and then they'll get them at like nine, 10 o'clock at night. It's kind of a laughing joke. They're like the, you know, the, the, depending on the time of the email or whatever, they know what it is. But so I, I believe in that. I believe in, in leading by example. I don't want to have to sit in front of somebody and, and preach. I want to like, I, I want my actions to to speak. And so that's a big one for me. And then culture, I, I think it's, it's the new age, right? The last three or four years, particularly, I would say around 2017, 18, the labor market and everything really shifted. And you had a new generation of people coming into the workforce and construction, just everything really started to change. And so it's how do you make construction fun? How do you, you know, how do you inspire? Like, for example, we just had a, a, I did a team event, we sponsored a, a historical preservation awards. And like we did, it was just amazing. I mean, we're at the LA Coliseum. I'm there with my you know top team members and and we're enjoying, I mean, they're bringing out, it's like a 75 course thing they're doing and we're there experiencing it. And my dad would never do those things. He's like, we don't have time for that. And we got to work. He's like, there's no money in that, right? But it was what it did to the team and the culture. And then we also do, give you another example, we do dodgeball. So I realized, you know, the, the tension is never going to go away. In, in construction, you're always going to have feelings, emotions, good days and bad days. And so I was like, how can I create an outlet where I say, hold that until blank? And so we started to brainstorm. And I'm like, what if we did like a team dodgeball event where they could literally, you know, the laborers could throw things at their bosses and not get in trouble. I'm like, what if I could make a safe environment where that's okay? And so we did that. They could even hit me. You know, like they'd get upset. They'd be like, oh man, I really don't like this. I'm like, great. Well, add this to your list of reasons why you want to hit me in the face with a ball, <laughs> you know, next Tuesday. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's great. But I think incorporating fun and incorporating an understanding culture is is big. I mean, when you look at tech companies, the reason that they have such an emphasis on these things is because they understand the difference between an A player and a C player is exponential, right? So they want to attract great people. But not just that, they understand the the... If, if you're in tech, which is predominantly intellectual property, right, be, because of the software and the coding, if you lose somebody, the risk is so big. And that's why I think they do all of these things. When I visited, I had a friend who worked at Google. My mind was blown. And this was at a young age. I was in college. And I was like, they do this? Like, you get breakfast every day. You get lunch. You get this. You get that. And I saw how it did to people. And so coming from a family business, I'm not catering three meals a day. I don't believe in that. Let's make that very clear. <laughs> but uh, I was there's so much we can learn from other industries and other ways of doing things that that really work. And I've been able to bring those into into my company and then also eventually teach those things later. But um, and it's it's transformative. Like nobody thought like a bunch of construction guys are going to go throw 
balls at each other after a long day's work. Like they thought I was crazy. I was like, I think so. Well, dodgeballs are better than throwing wrenches at each other, right? I mean, that, that was my thought. <laughs> see, it saves on uh, uh, cost and, and insurance for sure. You know, your move uh, to LA brings up a question because you basically have to almost start over, right? Um, so, what were the biggest challenges when you were starting? That's a great. That's a great one. I'll, I'll try and dig through that vault. It's buried underneath. Like I sealed it because of all the trials and tribulations. <laughs> so PTSD. That's all. <laughs> no. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. If I start twitching, you know, or <laughs> tears come down. Uh, no. LA was was an interesting thing. What fascinated me the most. I'm a, I'm a recovering sales and marketing junkie, right? So that was my big thing. I didn't understand the importance of hiring and, and retention as much as I did, you know, getting work and selling and revenue and landing big jobs. Like that's what I was taught to be excited about originally. And so moved to LA and started from literally nothing. But what was fascinating was because I understood marketing and sales, I was winning over work from companies that had been here 30 or 40 years and I had been here a month. And so that was interesting to say, okay, interesting you know that that it's not so much it's it's perception and it's also the ability to communicate and convey a message clearly as to who we are our lineage what we have done that worked but i i think one of the biggest challenges was building a team in a, in a different environment like the culture in california specifically as it relates to where i'm from which is boston very different like we we even in even in the the more Kind of even in the more uh, how do I word this? How do I word this effectively? Say it, just say it. <laughs> it was like like I was always even I was a very watered down version of of what what rigid is from coming from Boston, and I was still a little bit like you know I was a little bit too hard. Like we we had a guy that worked for me, and he was that we used to do these skills assessments. So we'd have them come and they would be paid and they would demonstrate their skills before we bring them in the field. Cause everyone says, Oh, I can do this, 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 this. I'm like, great. Here's a, here's an agreement. Sign this. Here's your check. Boom. You get, you get paid up front. If you want to leave at any time you can, that's how that works. And I remember this, this guy, I was like, look, I was like, I would just call it here. Like I would just, I'm basically, I was trying to in a nice way be like, Hey, don't waste any more time. Like, you know, you got Saturday, go spend time with your family. You're paid in full. Like, but this, there's nothing here. And I got, he was just so hurt. And I was like, and I felt bad, obviously. I mean, nobody wants to to do that. But but I think that the the irony of the situation was that he ended up calling me like a month later. And he's like, you know, I've been taking lessons and I, I really appreciate it, you. But he's like, no one's ever been that honest with me. And so it's this, it was this, this, I'm trying to learn how to communicate these messages because I could tell that I really hurt this guy. I could tell that I really, you know, I told him, I'm like, look, and I showed him, I even laid some block. I'm like, this is what straight and plumb and level looks like. This is how you want to, I gave him some lessons. I'm like, we're just not, we're not there yet. And he didn't want to be a laborer. I offered him entry level. He's like, I'm way above that. I was like, uh, okay, I hear you. I'm with you. I get it. Just not here. And, 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 but he ended up calling me a month later and was like, Hey, I really appreciate you being honest. I've thought about it. And you're right. I do need to take a step back to go forward. And so the, the messaging stuff, though, coming from the East Coast to the West Coast was definitely a learning curve. Communication is very interesting in general. Like, you know, communication is hard. And I, th- I think, yeah, obviously in construction, it is, I'm not going to say it's harder than everywhere else, but it is unique, certainly in that way. So then when you take also different geography of like Boston compared to L.A., these are not, these are so different of realities in, in cities. That can be quite challenging. So talk about communication with us. Like what, like you know, communication being so crucial to the industry, like how, 
like how did you like cater how did you learn how did you develop that skill um when you did move out to LA communication I I realized this and I I wish I learned this when I was 10 or 11 I wish I learned this before laying brick or block because I, I would have set me on a fast track like I couldn't ever even imagine but communication is so important it's the reason why people quit it's the reason why people don't take on jobs it's the reason why it's it's the root of so many things i have a mentor of mine and i remember he said nothing changes unless the unsaid is spoken that's good that's really good <laughs> and i that hit me like a ton of bricks when he said that he's like nothing changes until the unsaid is spoken and i thought to myself and and i, I went down this rabbit hole especially as we were putting together the course of just looking at the statistics of you know, why do construction projects go over budget? Why do people quit? I mean, we've uh, I've quit jobs before. I never quit the day I quit. Like the day I quit, I had quit mentally months before that. I was just like, I was like, what day is it going to be? Is it going to be Tuesday? Is it going to be like, what day is my, I'm working at a grocery store in the winters, you know? And, and I'm like, what day is it going to be? When is he going to tell me I didn't bag these right? Like, so when you understand that communication side of things, it's so important. And Really, what communication is is in essence is it's it's creating an open channel first, and that's really difficult. Especially, I didn't realize being the boss or being the owner how intimidating that is until I remembered what it was like when my dad would come on a job site, and they're like, "You tell him, you tell him we broke the pipe, you tell him." And I'm like, "Okay, <laughs> you know, I remember these things. I remember these examples." And so, what is good communication? It's creating an open channel. And, and when you get bad news that you don't want, most of us want to get upset or like, oh, you know, I can't believe this. And it's like, okay, I understand. I get it. Let's, let's talk about it and creating that team environment. And it's also a genuine place of understanding. Um, and I think that's really difficult because we as leaders or owners or even, you know, in management or employees in general, we, we come into things with preconceived notions and good communication is the ability to sit down, even though things may look so clear and genuinely ask and understand. And, and I've, it, it's baffled me. Like I've done this before where things will happen and I'll have leadership conversations within my company and I'll, I'll, I try and lead by example. So we'll bring them in and uh, I'll listen, listen, listen. I'm taking notes. And then I'll ask a question like, is everything all right at home? And they'll just cry. You know, I had a team member, he just broke down. He's like, I got a lot of stuff going on. I'm like, all right, well, we'll, we'll figure that out. Right. Nothing changes unless the unsaid is spoken. So my team is so focused on, you know, he was late or, or he forgot this tool or he, for, he's like, there's three examples where he's not doing it. It's making my life miserable. And I get that. I understand the, the leadership side of my team being like, Hey, you want us to hold these standards. So when you understand where everyone's at on your team and you understand their motivations, like here I am, I'm, I'm in the middle of this. It's like, all right, well, my leaders are trying to be good leaders, managers. They want to hold the standard, but I had this team member here who didn't really have any issues ever before. I have to assume something's changed. I have to assume he's not sabotaging me. I have to assume that he doesn't hate us or hate his job or, you know, he's been great for X amount of years. So then I just remember asking that question. I was like, is everything all right at home? And I just looked, I was compassionate. I was present and he just started to cry. And I was like, and it was those moments where I started to realize, wow, communication, two-way communication, auditing your employees. We have a thing that we came up with called the honest employee audit. And it's basically a software that we, we send out companies can use, but the, the information goes to us. And it's a number score, numerical. And it's just fascinating. It's fascinating to talk with business owners. And they're like, oh, no, my team's happy. They feel good. We're like, all right, well, we'll do the, you know, we'll do the assessment let's or the um, audit, rather, or survey, and let's see. And the results we get are so interesting. I mean, you'll see, you know, 
it's a it's a 10 scale 10 being best one being and you'll see ones and twos and threes pop up and it's it's just it's interesting when you really hand over the microphone and give them an opportunity to speak not just like what do you think it's like no genuinely what what is going on or what are your feelings or what are your thoughts all the information that you can garner but it's so foreign in the construction industry it's not something that i was ever taught i was taught to keep my mouth shut so very different very different uh today i that uh, is very true that whoever your mentor uh, is or was uh, very smart. That's a very, very insightful thought there. So t- tell us about contractor consultants, right? So hiring is a big deal, right? That's a big giant mass fail. Keeping good people is a big massive deal. I have to imagine communication is a, is a cornerstone to this. Tell, come on, walk us through it. Tell, tell us about it. How is, well, how, how have you figured it out? I guess. Well, on accident, really. So around 2017, 18, I thought I had made. I'm working for celebrities that I saw on TV. I'm doing a government project, uh, veteran uh, oversight. So VA is overseeing it. There's funding from the VA. So I'm building, I'm laying, I think, 11,000 pieces of granite at the LA National Cemetery. At the same time, I got crews working on one of my favorite celebrities' homes, uh, a very well-known DJ. And, and in the middle of all this, we're doing commercial projects. We're doing banks. We're, so I've got these three verticals in my business, residential, commercial, and government prevailing wage, which everyone was like, you can't do all three. I'm like, it's the same work. You just got different paperwork, really. And so I'm just, I feel like I'm on top of the world. And then I get a call from my site super and he's like, hey, so-and-so's late again. So I'm like, all right, well, did we sit down? Were we present? Do we understand? He's like, yeah, no, we understand. He's like, they're just, they're a little checked out. And, and. I was like, okay, this is a problem. I'm like, well, what does a handbook say for X amount of times being late? He's like, got to let him go. We've done the written warning. We've done the this, the that. I'm like, all right, well, let him go. He's like, all right, just one small little piece. He's like, we're, we have liquidated damages. He's like, so we'll probably lose. He's like anywhere to the tune of probably 80, hundred grand on this job. And I'm like, okay, hold on. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> oh, wait, hold on. <laughs> all right. Yeah. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then, so we basically audited our team and, and, and where things were at and, it was it was a, a massive financial implication. I was probably going to lose about half a million dollars worth of work. And the reason being, I didn't know this, but all of our traditional hire, hiring methods weren't working. Posting on Craigslist, not getting people. Indeed, I'm I'm doing these things that I that I used to. It used to be easy. It was like, oh, we got this big project. Let's let's hire three more people. Great. Post an ad. You get three people. You bring them in, interview them. We had our assessments done. Something shifted right around the 2018 mark, and I remember coming home and being like. I thought I had hit the American dream and I literally now have people that are showing up late and I have to keep them in my company. And then other people showing up late because that person's showing up late. And I could see the culture start to like four generations of lineage and culture just like crumbling. And I, that feeling to me was horrible. And so I just kept, I have this thing where if I, I, my friends joke, they're like, you're like a pit bull. When you sink your teeth into something, that's it. Like you don't let go. And I couldn't let up on this hiring thing because I had seen bits and pieces of how the industry was changing. I could see general contractors being like, your price is too high. And they'll come back a month later and be like, can you start tomorrow? I'm like, that's odd. Or like some of the bigger, huge masonry companies here in LA doing work and then us taking over the job. And we're like a medium, small, medium sized company. And so there was all these indications that something was happening in the labor market that big companies couldn't keep their people, keep them motivated. I've always been proud of a very tight, good culture, you know, even when we had 35, 40 people keeping everyone motivated. And so I said, all right, something needs to change. So I called this true story. I called my CPA. I'm like, how much money can I spend without tanking the business? She gave me the number. I'm like, great. So I went out and I started hiring virtual assistants. 
And I was like, we're going to figure this thing out. And it was this journey of, of literally years of just trying every single thing I could think of. Um, and I'd done a lot in the marketing space and I was good at marketing. And so we stole ideas from there. But when I say everything, I mean, like, like, I'll give you an example. So I went to my suppliers because I knew that my skilled workers, potential candidates were going to pick up materials. They're gainfully employed at this point. They're not unemployed, hard to find because they don't all have a resume. And I was like, I go to my suppliers. I'm like, hey, I want to put up this billboard. I'll pay you. I want to put it on your fence. Like the bar master is hiring. They're like, we can't do that. I'm like, all right, well, what about a little like uh, a little like thing on the checkout? They're like, no, I can't do that either. I'm like, okay. And I was so frustrated because I was standing there as, you know, trucks are coming in and out. This is a Saturday morning. And I'm driving down the street and I see this this guy and he's he's uh, got uh, he's holding the sign for the mattresses. It's like mattress close out. You know, he's like flinging the sign around. And I was like, huh. So I go to the guy and I said, hey, what are you doing on Monday? He's like, I'm not working. I was like, now you're working. And I showed up the supplier and I had a sign made up that said like, you know, company name, top pay, English and Spanish. So you fl flipped it around. Yeah. I got so many calls in the first literally two hours of just guys driving in on Monday morning. And you can tell they're frustrated. Something happened, right? Maybe they got yelled at for me in five minutes late. And uh, I also got a call from the supplier being like, hey, you can't be on the sidewalk. I'm like, can we rethink that billboard? And he's like, no, no, we can't. So we ended up coming with this idea. I was like, how can I make everybody win? So I said, what about this? I'll sponsor a, a, a coffee booth, coffee and donuts every morning from 6 to 8 a.m. or 9 a.m., whatever, first big three hours. I said, in exchange for that, I just want to put these little cards and say, Debar Mason is hiring, top pay. He goes, love it, done. So we got rid of the sign guy, you know, but, but like when I say I was literally trying everything, I mean, I was doing every single thing we could literally get our hands on. Um, and then we realized it was a system. So once we had 15 or 20 fine methods, then it was like, well, you have to sift, sort and screen them quickly. Otherwise you're bottlenecked. So I'm like, now I need to show this part of the system. Like what are the three or four questions you ask on the phone to qualify someone in two minutes? How do you do a skills assessment for someone in the office? So you know, you're making the right hire. And then it's like, I remember losing a really, really key hire because I just gave him the offer letter and he shopped his offer letter out and I didn't get the commitment. So then I learned, I'm like, the next time I had somebody ready, I was like, I brought him in my office. I shook their hand. I'm like, do we have a commitment on this, on this deal? He goes, yeah. I said, is there any reason you would change your mind? He looks up at me. He's like, ah, I don't know. And I handled all the objections. So then he goes to give his two weeks notice. They end up saying, oh, we'll, we'll give you X amount more. And he goes, no, 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 I don't want to do it because I, I made him understand that I'm paying him this today, first day, versus he'd been working at this company for three years without a raise. And he understood that. And he's like, you know what? I'm done. Like, I don't want to do this. And so I learned the hiring side of it. And then the two-week onboarding plan. And then it went into, okay, retention and culture, which ironically is really kind of the first thing you have to have because if you bring somebody into it and your culture and your retention is not good, you lose them before it ever starts. So what is good retention? Can I pause you there for, for a second, Matt? Because I want to make sure that people really hear and understand what is being said. Owners, regardless of where you come from, have to be good at sales, including selling your future people, not just sales for the company, but you have to sell who might be your future employees to join your company, right? It's a skill, right? And it is definitely a process. And uh, what you just demonstrated there is sales skill without actually selling a product or a service, right? What you, you were selling, but you were selling on the position, the culture, and all those pieces. 
I think I think this is something that the industry misses out on, except for the except for the top companies. Okay. What you just demonstrated is that owners have to be able to sell on many different levels. And, and it's a skill that has to be consistently honed. Otherwise, you lose out, right? You lose out on people. You lose out. You made the changes, which is great. Okay. And you reassessed and, and changed your process. But it's so, it is a process, right? There's a lot of little details, what you say, how you say it, to get to the point of, in this case, getting the right hires. Okay. So if you didn't hear it, go rewind and listen to like the last 10 minutes because that was an entirely a sales process. And thank you for sharing that. Of course. No, you're right. I mean, that was, and I think that the belief, well, it's two parts. The first one is get excited about this sale because if you make it and you do it right, it's a 20 year deal. It's a 30 year deal. These people might retire with you, you know, and and they can become your best friends and you can all make tons of money and have a great time. Um, I was out to dinner with with my manager. We did an escape room. So I took all my managers. We went out to dinner. We did an escape room. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, wow, how cool is it that I get to work with people I like, I respect. We're all working on the same common goal. And we've done such a good job that we get to go out and do this stuff during a normal work week. Like it, it's so powerful. There's, I have this concept where where I believe, and I'll go on record saying this, I believe in the next three to five years, the culture will shift. I remember Three or four years ago, my sales guys like, I closed 200 grand. Boom, we're all high-fiving each other, right? And it was like, you know, it was very revenue focused. That was that was right before the 2018-ish shift. And I believe there will, there will come a time in the next three to five years where the culture will be, we just hired a new laborer, boom. And like, or, you know, uh, Jack's been with us 10 years. And, and the focus and the emphasis will shift from sales and marketing to hiring, culture, and retention. Because, and- I was at a, I was at RoofCon, uh, which is a, a big roofing uh, uh, convention. Right in the name gives it away. Ah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and basically, I, I looked and I was fascinated. I think we counted somewhere in the tune of like forty booths that had some form of sales, marketing, customer retention. There wasn't one booth there for hiring. There was well, I, I technically there was one. It was like I think it was a recruiter, but he was like out most of the time, or I don't know the deal. But but it was so fascinating to me because if you make that sale, if you hire the right person. Your, you, your business could literally be one hire away. And so this concept of one hire away really started to kind of open my eyes. And I think, I think it's my belief that there's a facade going on in the industry. I think that the big companies, the, the 300s, the 500s, the thousands, the, the equity bought out companies, I think they, they want the small and medium size, but they're like, yeah, keep focusing on sales. Yeah. yeah keep marketing. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah. That's what got us here. Yeah. yeah you keep doing that. Oh, absolutely. And I believe that the real thing that got them there was culture, hiring, retention. But why would I go and teach you that, right? I had the same question with, with one of my marketing mentors. He's like, Matt, you're going to go and, and make a, a course and then give it to all your competitors so that they can poach your people. I'm like, yeah. I was like, I invite them to call. I, I My guys, they get they think it's funny. They'll put it on speakerphone. Yeah, yeah we, we found XYZ. They're paying $3 more. They're like, yeah, yeah, we're happy here. Thank you. So so it's 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 so contrary because it's like, sure, you can – the the I think big companies are well aware that the market share is continuing to expand relative to the labor pool. And so they're like, yeah, go ahead, like enter the arena, figure it out. But you're, you're so if you don't have the right team, if you don't have the right people, think of the touch points, right? I make a sale. Let's imagine for a minute I make a sale in my company. That's one touch point. Think about the amount of people involved in a traditional construction company. Somebody had to answer the phone. 
somebody had to schedule somebody, somebody had to send out a salesperson, salesperson went there. There's usually some type of handoff meeting between sales and fulfillment or production, right? Then you've got your production team. Even if you're a smaller company and, and it's maybe three people, it's still three people involved in one single touch point. So I believe I'm, my goal is to pioneer this mental shift, this focus of, look, you want real freedom in your business. There is no single sale that will create freedom in your company. Because the minute you make that sale, if it's big enough, I, I've heard guys say, like, oh, I made this monster sound like what's the first. OK, first thought, I made a ton of money. What's your second thought? How in the world am I going to get this done? And you're immediately going back to your team. You're going, do I have the team to do this? Do I have the people? Can I meet the deadlines? Do we have all the work in place? I'm like, it, it, it all centers around our team. But who's talking about this information? Who's pushing this narrative? Nobody wants to do it because. I believe, and there was the same question I'd ask myself. I'm like, do I really want to teach a bunch of my competitors how to poach my people, right? How to write amazing ads, how to geofence me. We teach geofencing, right? It's an invisible fence around your competitors that you can just, you cross that invisible line, you're seeing hiring ads. I'm like, do I really want to teach, you know, all these people, all, all these things? And the answer is yes, because it comes from a place of heart. But I, it's, and you can hear the passion in my voice. I'm very passionate about this because I believe that this is true freedom. I mean, I remember my dad walking out uh, the one baseball game he ever went to, he he left after about 20 minutes. He's like, ah, oh, he's like, they can't get the mixer started, Matt. Sorry, I'll be back later. And I'm like, had we had the right team, the right people in place, it would it would solve all your problems. And and the big companies, I don't believe they want you to know this because you're gonna start poaching their people, especially because really big companies, we typically poach more from the big companies than the small ones because they're 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 employee number 68. And when you're a smaller business and and they a lot of a lot of really good team members want to interact with the owners. It's inspiring. It's fun. It's exciting. We brought someone to our team. He's like, you know, in, in 17 years, I never met the owner of my company. Not once. He's like, in 17 years. He's like, I'm literally, he's like, you interviewed me. You sat down with me. You showed me the game plan. You told us what we were doing. He's like, I'm so inspired to join your team. And so like, what kills me is us as small companies, even if it's just two or three or four of us, we have this huge competitive advantage and yet we're not taught how to use it. And I think there's, it's too much of a coincidence. I'll leave it at that. We're full believers, people process technology, right? That's how you scale a business. And of the leaders we've talked to, I would say 95 plus percent of them will say people are the foundation. Like without that, the rest of it doesn't even matter. Uh, and like, it's it's crucially important. So obviously culture, we talk about all the time. Hiring is huge problem in the industry and uh, you're, you're getting to a place to, to again to help your competitors so that does pose the question why not uh why not hone it in and just you know grow your uh masonry to however many hundreds of millions of dollars or billion dollars or whatever 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 the level that you can achieve uh why not do that why go into the consulting side that's a great question so i i was gonna do that originally that was my plan so i went i reached out to the masonry association of america i said who are your like top people like I want to look ahead of the of, of the curve, and so they they introduced me to somebody. I get on a call with him. This guy's from uh, I believe it's Ohio, and uh, and he goes, we're on the Zoom call, and he's like, you know, hell, Matt. He goes, I can't tell you all this stuff. He's like, you gotta just come and experience it. So I'm like, okay, what does that mean? He's like, just come stay with me for three days. I'll show you everything. This guy owns five companies, is probably a hundred million dollars a year, maybe more. And so I fly out there. I I see it. I started telling him some of the things we were doing. And he was very much intrigued. And he's like, you know, Matt, I, I might have learned more from you this trip than you learned from me. And so that was a like data point. I was like, okay, that's interesting. 
And this was just at the time that I was starting to wonder. I'm like, I was helping contractors at coffee shops some friends of mine and stuff like that. They were getting results. They're hiring people. This is working, you know, but that was big recognition. And then the next thing that happened was I had a client and I uh, had a really complicated problem with this pool. I personally got involved because I, I enjoy the, those things. So we help them. And uh, at, towards the middle of the project, he's like, Matt, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah. He goes, your team is so different. He's like, it's just like I talk to them and then they're excited. He's like, this whole process. He goes, well, why is that? And I did not know who this guy was. So I said, well, you know, I'm actually really obsessed with this, this concept. I was like, I'm, I talk to contractors on weekends and I'm, I'm debating, you know, I was like, we're actually making an outline for this course and, and I want to change the industry. I think this is the next big focus point. And he looks up at me and he goes, he goes, that's amazing. So I showed him the outline. I was like, yeah, do you have a minute? He's like, yeah. I said, this is what we're going to be teaching and this is how we're doing it. And we're probably a quarter of the way down the course. And he goes, do you know what I am? And I said, no, no, I don't. He goes, I'm the co-founder of ZipRecruiter. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, you had no idea. I'm like, no, I don't. I don't look people up. I mean, well, you because I talked about this earlier, but, but. <laughs> yeah, you took you told us. Yeah, that. exactly. Yeah, that's a real thing. So so he goes, what you're doing? He's like, I'm just this is this is amazing. And I remember sitting there and being like, if there's anybody that understands hiring and retention and has data, it's this company. And he was blown away. He's like, I showed him the teaser video and just what the vision was. And that was the moment where I said to myself, you know, at this point, I think my daughter was probably like two months and, and I'm, I'm, go, I'm, I'm asking myself, I'm like, I'm thinking of all the games my dad missed. I'm thinking of all the times that he had to leave dinner early. And it just killed me as a kid. And I'm like, man, if I could have an impact, if I could help contractors figure this thing out, if I could be that person, that's worth more, more money to me than anything. And so I made the choice. I self-funded everything. You know, we built the team. I brought it. Luca, who was uh, uh, our COO co-founder in the business he had a big background in hospitality so he brought a lot of knowledge as it relates to you know the culture and the fun and communication that i think is really unique and so we just we, we ventured out on this journey but i did ask that question i pursued it um it was definitely something i'd considered i'm not gonna lie i'm 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 not here to sit on some podium and, and act like i you know it was all that i i was very close so i was like oh this is nice but but i think that that making the difference is more important like my team's working right now i'm on this podcast I'm able to do this because of them, because I've built the right systems, processes, procedures, and I have no stress. I will get off this. My phone will not have 27 messages. I will not have any problems or fires I need to put out. Like I'm going to probably stop and get a coffee and just reflect on this great time we had. Like that is the freedom that you have when these things are in place. What's very fitting. Simon, what is his name? Will Simon Sinek? Yeah, Simon Sinek. I saw EO had posted a, a, a video of his, a three-minute, four-minute post, and he's talking about purpose, right? So he's talking about why business you need to be purpose-driven, like why that needs to be the case, and that on his, like on his PL, he doesn't have profit anywhere. He has freedom, like that's that's what it is, because like. Profit is like, you know, no, no employees getting jazzed up about profit. Like that's not like, that's not, thank goodness. Like, you know, they're, they're just not, that's not how it works, but freedom on the other hand, that changes things. It's like, oh, you get to go spend time with your family. You get to go have a coffee and reflect that you were on the most amazing podcast you could imagine. Uh, you know, like all those things you get to do because of freedom, which uh, literally just this morning uh, I reposted it. So uh, yeah, but anyways, uh, just it's, it's what they call a God wink or something that just, it just seems like this is happening in my life a lot where I'll see a thing and I know like algorithms and things, but like, it's just, it's just wild where I see, Oh, impact, impact. That's important. Purpose is important. Like those things are important. And it's obviously near and dear to, to, to what I do. So that totally. 
I want to shift gears here because we haven't really touched upon it. And people process technology, you got a lot of process definitely uh, around people. There's something else that we found interesting when we were talking to you. So I'm just going to start with how do you leverage technology in your business, you know, to help you with being successful or help you with building scale? Technology is huge. I mean, I grew up with a trial in my hand. So like technology was was the worst thing. My dad was like, technology sucks. And so I had to unlearn that. It took me it took me many years to kind of unlearn that. But there's so much available now. Like when I first started using Monday.com as a project kind of project management software, and I could sit down and I had different groups for each of my team and we had different goals. Like it, it blew my mind how easy things were. I was a I was a pen and paper guy. And then the the automation stuff. So it was technology is great. It helped us keep organized. And then we moved to automation. And I thought my belief was, which was a poor one, that you know it was better to call people or or text them. And when I learned that if you're clever with your technology, I mean it's 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 as long as you set it up right, it, it's it. I didn't have to worry that XYZ is out sick and that you know all these things still have to happen. So the automation lift was huge. And then on the CRM side, having a center central point within your business that manages all of your contacts. I mean, we do it even on the hiring side. So we can automate, like for us, we automate outreach, we automate calendars and scheduling. So the interviews, it's like, great, you second round interview. You, here's Matt's calendar, schedule the time where it fits. So there's so many freedoms that you have. Uh, and I think construction, if they would embrace technology more, I mean, I've never, I've never... I think one of the big beliefs is it's one of two things. It's either it's, I mean, I guess it's a few, but one of them is, is it's too much work or it doesn't work for me. Right. The other one is what if I pick the wrong one? Cause that was me. Like I was like, Oh, it's not going to work. And then I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll give it a shot. Then I go into, well, there's like so many different options, but I just picked one. And uh, for the CRM, we picked one. We used it for a little while, spent some money. It was the wrong one. But even that lift and seeing how the wrong one for us worked well was mind blowing. So I think, I think anybody that's not, really pushing the envelope with technology we're missing out on so much i mean i remember sitting with my dad when the only marketing decision was yellow pages literally i mean it was six months we'd, we'd so he would meet with this guy he would wear a flannel shirt like what you're wearing justin he was like i'm a contractor and like but i was like you're not a contractor he's like you don't have any no no not you justin but the the, the guy uh the, the guy that we would meet with um and he would you know he was he would try and pose as a contractor my dad would always get pissed off and laugh and be like this guy's never built anything in his life and uh and we would joke but the moral of the story is that was the only advertising decision we made and now we're in this world where i mean made so much money and progress with websites seo uh, and all these things and i think the next evolution of that is who's getting in front of of the right technologies. And I, I I mean, I can't say enough good things about it. And I think we just have to get past the anxiety of choosing the wrong one or that it doesn't work or that we don't understand it. And there's a lot, a lot of, lot of benefits on the other side of that hill. You know, you mentioned that you had to, you had to essentially unlearn what your dad taught you. Uh, and there was a, there's kind of a fear around it. Obviously that fear was based in something, right? There might probably some experience. Do you want to talk about maybe some of those experiences and then what learning lessons do you have with implementing technology? So the fear was really about control. So I pride myself as a business owner of delivering an exceptional experience and technology was something that's out of my wheelhouse. So like, for example, I could easily take an Excel sheet and 
if it's like organized in the right way, I could be like, hey, you know, call these people. I knew how to check it. I knew how to read it. But the minute we started implementing the CRM, it was like, well, how do I read? How do we know the team called everybody? How do we know this job scheduled? How do we know? And it was like, I, I felt like I was losing that sense of, of control coming from a place of wanting to deliver an exceptional experience. And it also was worried about the strain and stress it would have on my team because I know that they've already got a lot in their day to day. So I'm like adding this other thing. And so I just had to believe in, in the fact that number one, that my, my team was on board and they saw the benefits. As a matter of fact, they were kind of pulling me a little bit more in the beginning than I was. They're like, no, no, I think this is, I'm like, I don't know. This is, we were doing the presentation and I'm like, oh man, this is, this is a lot. But in hindsight, it's like anything else. When you take the time to do it, all you got to do is go to the DMV, wherever you live to realize that, that that technology done well, the right technology done well will make your life great. Because every time I go to the DMV and I got to do something, it's the most difficult process in the world. I'm like, I'm going to stay ahead of technology always, or I will become the DMV of construction. Wow. So <laughs> like, that's wow. very important. That's... Don't do that. That should be on a bumper sticker. Don't be the DMV of construction. <laughs> well, that's what it feels like. I was just there. They're like, oh, no, we don't have that. And then I go to one booth and then they, she's like, oh, she opened your file and she opened two. So now we have to call Sacramento to close out the other one. I'm like, you can't just click close? They're like, no. I'm like, okay. And then they're like, so I got to get a new number. They're like, oh, we can't use your number. Like, it's crazy. So when I see things like that, I'm like, it's very important that that regardless of whether or not I understand it fully, that I'm continuing to innovate and, and taking the leap of faith. Otherwise, I will be the DMV. That's, we might create a bumper sticker. So thank you for that. You heard it here. You heard it here first. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, so you talked a little bit, you had fears around implementing new technology. Do you still have fears around implementing new technology? No, once you see the benefits, once once you see how beneficial it is, like when I get clients that are, for example, uh, if you call our office, schedule an appointment, we've got a lot of automations that go out. And when I saw clients were, were basically when they were like, oh my gosh, like I'm so, I, I love this. Like I knew they get a picture of who's going out and they they get these confirmations. And if they can't, like, they were like, wow. And I, I actually went on those some of those sales appointments in the beginning when we launched this, because I was like, are we contacting them too much? Are they like, are they going to be nervous? And the feedback I got was, was very interesting. So I think if you are fearful, it's, it's inserting yourself into the feedback loop will calm any and all nerves. Cause that's what I did. And then, you know, there was another one where we did, um, where we had it with our, uh, we used it. So we take video estimates now. So we don't just, for example, if I'm restoring a building and it's like, when I was a kid, I used to have to draw on graph paper, literally not even joking. And I would be like, I would draw up 37 lines and then over four and I put an X and I'm like that brick. And then like, so we used to have to, everything was all by hand because then a lot in the masonry and concrete world is like, you're cutting out this square, but how do you write that in a contract? It's like walk 27 feet, four paces to your left, cut this square out and replace it. Like that was kind of what we did for you know many years. And now we use video to take these estimates and we, we literally can anno, you know narrate the videos and, and, and photos and stuff. So I think looking at every area of your business and asking yourself, where do I feel friction? Writing that down, I guarantee you there's technology that can help. I found that in every area of my business. Wherever I feel there's friction, if I write a list, if I can list it out, like we friction with writing contracts. I'm like, I'm sick of reviewing contracts from my sales team and it's just not clear to me. And I'm, you know, obviously it's legally protected and stuff, but it's it's friction. And I could tell that that would be friction for the client. And the last thing I'll say about technology, what I think is most beautiful about it is when it's done well, is it aligns the goals of everybody involved. 
the technology that we've implemented and done well has aligned the goals of our customers, has aligned the goals of our team, has aligned the goals of our my bottom line as a business owner, uh, consistency, culture. So when you nail it and you do it right, you'd be amazed. I mean, the video estimates. Clients are like, I love this. My wife couldn't be there and I'm just going to forward her this link. And I'm like, and then my sales guys are, guys and gals are like, we don't have to type up all that stuff. Like we just say, refer to video, you know, X in this time. And I'm like, it was so interesting when I was sitting in that meeting and I'm like, the customer loves it. It's easier for them. They can send it to anybody. My sales team loves it because they don't need, it saves them writing. My production team loves it because they can see it in real time and they can be like, oh, that wasn't in the video. We didn't know. So it's, it was it was fascinating that technology is kind of like magic, I think. That is, I mean, those are a lot of nuggets there. Um, so for anyone that's behind the times, they can quickly, quickly catch up here listening to what you just said. All right. I want to, I want to close it out. I love asking this question to all of our, because everyone answers this question differently. So I'm really curious to what you have to say. You go back in time. 20 years, what would you tell yourself? You know, one of the worst thing I literally was like, if everyone answers it differently, maybe my answer is to not answer it, but I'm not going to do that. I'm only kidding. If I could, uh, if I could go back in time, what I would tell myself is I would tell myself to, to think bigger, to have bigger goals. I, I was so we're, we're taught, I think in construction specifically, we're taught very linearly. So, so my whole life was really linear. It was very, very 45 degree line. What I mean by that is you're taught, okay, this is how you mix mortar. Okay. This is how you use a skill saw. Okay. This is how you lay block. But all those, all those elements stack on one another, right? Like you have to know how to stock out the material first, make cuts. And so in business, in construction, when you can have exponential expansive thinking, that that breaks out of that that linear line, I think it's transformative. And and when I started to do that, ask myself really big questions that I didn't know the answer to, it's it shifted. So I wish I was doing that 20 years ago. Very insightful. Yes, you were you still kept the trend of of keeping everyone's answers different. So yes. Thank you for that. Justin, you want to close this out? Yeah, we're going to add in all of your uh, social media, all that kind of links into the show notes. Um, but is there anything else you'd like to tell the people or uh, tell, tell them about the course, whatever you, whatever you think is right? I mean, I, I think the biggest takeaway here is just focus on focus on hiring. Ask yourself in a month, in a week, in a quarter, where did I innovate? How many interviews did I do? I mean, you can create these objective you know, these these very clear data points like, well, I look at how many interviews did I do this week? How many people did I hire? If I go four or six months without a hire, I know there's something wrong. So setting a framework around your goals and and then having measurable measurable intervals is is, is extremely powerful. And I think hiring and, and people and processes is where the, the focus should go. So and that's that's the that's the rub. All right. And if they want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that, Matt? They the website's great or uh, MD at the contractorconsultants.com. So first initial, last initial. Perfect. Beautiful. All right. Well, uh, that's all we have for today. So to our uh, audience, adios. Thank you for joining us today and listening to this episode. If this episode did help you, then be sure to share it with someone else who needs to hear it. If you want to be a guest on the podcast or looking for additional help on your journey to find more wealth, scale, and freedom in your AEC company, visit our AEC resources page at spotmigration.com backslash 
AEC-resources. Hyphen